Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter with Steve. I am your host, Steve Cook, and on today's podcast, my guest name is Larry Andrews. Boy, oh boy, was this a crazy podcast. Larry has now written a book called The Ride, and you can find it on anywhere you can buy books, um, particularly Amazon. And Larry Andrews wrote a story about his life. His life consisted of a completely normal childhood. He went on to play college football. And after dropping out of college football for a few different reasons, he decided that he was going to start dabbling in the party scene. After becoming a heavy drinker, he started dealing and taking meth. Um, after getting pretty involved into the meth scene, he actually got convicted and sent to 20 years in prison mandatory sentence. Larry Andrews is now out of prison and runs a successful business. Larry Andrews' story is incredible. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed listening to Larry tell his story. Do you want me to scratch my head then? <laughs> man, I should have worn black, man. I'd look slimmer on that, dude. You got to figure out the dark colors trick. <laughs> Larry Andrews, welcome to Chatter with Steve. All right, thank you for having me. I, uh, I've got to brag on your book a little bit. I didn't want to tell you this before we started recording because this is—I wake up early, around four, four thirty, and I, I tried. When you gave me the book, I was like, I had already had started two different books. I was like, man, I don't want to start a third book. That'll be a little bit confusing or whatever. So I was like, let me finish these two and then I'll get started. Well, this is about a week ago. So I was like, man, I'm going to have him on in a week. So I really need to get this book knocked out. So I just finished those other two. I woke up at like 4, 4.30 one morning. I usually read and then I'll uh, go work out or something like that. And I got so into your book, I finished it all in one morning. Awesome. I was like, I was like obsessed with it. So anyways, it was a really good book. Well, thank you. I've been told that... Uh sent by some of my friends that uh, actually Paul McGrady, who endorsed the book, he said it felt like he was actually in the book with me. Yeah. And uh, I actually hired a ghostwriter to help me do this. But uh, the young lady that worked for me, she said, Larry, it sounds just like you talking mostly through this book. And I said, well, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. How did you, what made you even start looking to write a book? Why did you did somebody suggest it or did you? In 2002, when I was in prison, mm-hmm. I uh, was walking through the dorm there one day and and it just kind of like the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to start preparing to write a book. <laughs> and at that time, I felt like the title, uh, which we initially ran with this title, the other the other title that I'm getting ready to tell you, we ran with that from, from the get-go, but the book itself kind of after it's starting you know things were coming to chapter one chapter two the book kind of spoke the title to us so uh back in the days I, it was very successful and driving down the highway in a brand new mercedes and you know and all that stuff saying look at me here i am i i i and uh, <clears throat> the uh the book title at that time 
I felt like after losing the Mercedes, losing the, the, the boat, the house, losing everything. I mean, I lost everything, including my freedom. But the title of the book initially started out to be From Mercedes to Moped. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good, too. Probably so, wouldn't have understood it at first, but. Yeah, a lot, my friend said he would have bought it just because of the title. And he said the reason being is most people won't tell you how they had everything and lost it. They always want to tell you from the the moped to the Mercedes story. Yeah, that's a really good, really good point. Talking about your life story, and that's kind of what your book is about. Um, you know, in the beginning of the book, start from your childhood. You kind of go back, way all the way back to, you know, even where your parents were kind of raised and stuff like that. It seems like trouble kind of started with you from the, was it the car that you had set on fire or something like that? Well, that was, yeah, that was about four years old, actually. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I remember it did happen. <laughs> and uh, and here we were. I think my friend George next door, he's the one that struck the match, and then I'm or I'm trying or I struck the match, and and I don't remember exactly how it happened. But uh, um, he uh, he, I know we were trying to beat that fire out of that old cotton seat <laughs> with a board, and the and the more we beat that seat with a board, the bigger the flame got <laughs> to the point you're we giving said, it more oxygen. Man, we better get out of here. <laughs> And so we, I run into the house, and, and then eventually see my dad coming home, fire department's out there putting the car out. And my dad had bought the car, uh, and he was going to make a, uh, a dirt track car out of it. And uh, I took care of the car for him. <laughs> so, dad, you don't need another hobby. And, so, and when dad came in, you know, there wasn't any questions asked. You know, he, he pulled the belt off, and he got after it. There wasn't any, he, knew, he knew that I was right in the middle of it. <laughs> Somehow you deserve this. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then it just eventually just grew from there. And I, I loved to fight when I was a kid and, uh, it seemed like I was always fighting and it didn't matter how big they were. And I just, you know, two or three years older than I was, I would jump on them. But you weren't, I mean, would you call yourself from like a, like a pretty average, like middle class? I mean, it wasn't like you were like, it's a rough upbringing or anything no, like that, right? No, no. Great parents, great parents. Uh, we were raised, uh, to basically, to be morally correct, don't lie, cheat, and steal. Right. And uh, to get out and, and work, work hard, and, and uh, things will happen for you. Well, I, we weren't raised in church, but uh, looking back over the years after I got gave my life to the Lord, I realize now that mom and dad had a lot of the, the Bible in them. They right. Just, they were raised around it, but we never did. We weren't raised as our me and my two brothers. And at the time the car was on fire, I just had one younger brother. The other one was born in seven, 1970. Gotcha. Several, quite a few years later. And then you talked about a little bit, like later in your life, uh, there was something about you egged a police officer or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a story with that. Yeah. They, uh, we, uh, me and a friend of mine, he was a quarterback on our high school football team. And we were drinking one night home in our hometown. And... At that time, we thought this guy was just a night watchman. You know, he's driving a Ford Pinto. And uh, <laughs> so we were drinking, and he said, come on, let's go to Grandma's house and get some eggs. So we uh, we drive up the back alley. He runs into the house, gets a few eggs. We go park the car, and we're so bold from drinking that I walked right up to his door and opened the door. And when I opened his door, I threw the egg, I'm from left-handed, and I threw the egg, and it literally hit him in the side of the temple, took his glasses off, 
and we started laughing so hard. Uh, my friend, he just tossed his egg, and we took off running. And so it was it was ginning season at the time, so there's cotton trailers everywhere around town. And uh, he, uh, um, we went out and hit in a cotton trailer, and it was and it, it was in the middle of the winter, but it got smoking hot. We were down deep into that cotton. <laughs> And uh, anyway, you know, about 45 minutes later, the car drives off. And we find out later, you know, through the police, that I actually, the egg that hit him, gave him, knocked him out and gave him concussion. And so here we were in that cotton trailer. When we finally, when he drove off, when we came out of there, I mean, we had cotton stuck to us. It looked like we had feathers on us. <laughs> it, was, it was so hot. And, uh, but that started, that started out to be just a joke. Yeah, but it became very seriously by just a stupid decision. Was that where, like, kind of you started getting in? And I don't mean that's like, like, I don't know, trying to be a psychologist on your life or anything. But was that where you started kind of getting into trouble with the law and stuff like that? Or was that? No. I mean, no, that was just that like was, a that harmless. Was back, that's when I was a junior in high school. And um, I didn't start getting in trouble with the law until about 1995 1996 okay. so gotcha. it was way after high school right okay so i didn't know if that was like a spiral that started you know what i mean or anything like that but you were you were so involved in sports that it that was kind of your main focus right yes yes yeah i was uh i was a good football baseball and uh i was so involved with the sports that i really cared about what my body looked like tried to take care of my body now don't get me wrong we went out and drank but between my junior and senior year when I started getting uh, letters from different colleges around the nation to play ball football I got very serious about my workout and so I started working out every day I'd run in the mornings and after I got off of work working with my dad who was in the construction business I would go to the football field and run that afternoon and worked out ridiculously I ran and worked out all summer and never touched a drop of alcohol between my junior and senior year. And I don't think I drank anything until we lost. Uh, I would have to go back and look at the schedule, but it was about the seventh game <laughs> of the season when we, uh, we'd we lost the uh, in a double overtime, and it basically cost us a district championship, and which was pretty special to us. You know, we were, we were picked to be next to the last in the district. Where'd you go to high school again? Washington, Oklahoma. Washington, gotcha. Washington High School. And, <clears throat> But uh, we were picked to be next to last in the district that year, and we ended up becoming one of the powerhouses in the district. Yeah. And then you actually went and played college football for a little Didn't last long. That a little short, bit, right? It was very short-lived. I started out at NEO and uh, smashed my finger off there. Got, oh, yeah. Tell that story. Well, I uh, we were running a drill, and um, I, was a, I was fullback, and we were running a drill. The quarterback would hand the ball off to us, or he would keep the ball, and uh, – we were taking on a defensive lineman, a linebacker, and a defensive back. And um, so as I stiff-armed the linebacker, I had the ball, stiff-armed the linebacker, the defensive back's helmet smashed into the linebackers, and it took the tip. So did that, I guess they got you. Took they, the tip of my pinky off. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that did hurt. I can't imagine. And so I went home. I got homesick. I was homesick for not only home, but uh, my high school girlfriend and, and just uh, wasn't used to being away from home. Yeah. So I laid out a year, uh, went to work, but I'd made a promise to a former. And who were you, is that when you started working for your dad? Is that uh, right? No, I'd worked for dad off and on throughout, you know, uh, junior high and high school. And he owned a uh, construction company? Is yes. That right? yeah. Gotcha. He was a fire restoration contractor, general right. contractor. 
And so I laid out that year and, and then walked on to D Central. And the third day of two days, I blew my ACL mm. and it's career ending. I was completely finished with football at that time. Gotcha. So you ended up dropping out of school completely after that, right? I left uh, East Central. I stayed there an entire year. I promised a former state insurance commissioner, a friend of mine, his name's Gerald Grimes, promised him that I would go and do the one year and see how I liked it. Well, I started making money in the insurance business. And when, you know, the money started rolling in, I thought, why do I need to go finish a degree? Right. I can make this kind of money. Right. So you go from there and then... Um when did you start really like taking drugs and and like partying and stuff like that? Was it around that time? No, it was uh, it was after that. I didn't uh, didn't do the drugs then. I was just dr- mainly drinking beer at that time, and it was uh, I probably started trying the cocaine at about twenty one, twenty two, and I just kind of dibbled and dabbled in that and did it, you know, just a weekend thing, and and uh, didn't get really serious about it. Didn't feel like it. I was. Was this something it. that you were like drinking so much that? Um, that you wanted a different way to party type of deal or was it yes and then you know other people were doing it and i and i thought well let's try this you know right a lot of other people say it's a lot of fun so started the cocaine thing and it was just not my drug of choice it was just like it was so the high was so hard at the high that uh, when you came down it was like man this is uh, miserable and i was miserable yes yeah and then so what did you you started taking drugs like when you're 23, 24, something like that after that, or was it even no, later? I, uh, I, in 1987, and uh, I, I got uh, hooked on some math for a while. I was about three months, three What is meth like? Do you just, like, do you remember, like, being high, or is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, It keeps you up for hours upon days, and uh, depending on. Is that why you liked it, because you could get a lot done type of deal, or was well, it? Well, you think you're getting a lot done, but you end up spinning in circles. <laughs> right. You know, and, and you might get a lot done that first time, the first high and first day. But uh, after that, it's you're, you're just spinning around in circles. You had you had mentioned something in your book about, weren't you up for like a long string of days at one point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I stayed up 10 days at a time many times. That's insane. I'm very fortunate I'm still alive. That has to be crazy. Would you sleep for like two or three days after? Oh, yeah. Was it? Yeah, you'd you'd sleep. I mean, that, someone could have come in the room and hit you in the head with a sledgehammer and it wouldn't have woke you up. Wow. You're just that out of it. Gotcha. So was that, like, did people know, do you think people know, like, now looking back, do you think people, is it kind of like when you're in high school, you think, like, you're getting away with stuff and your parents don't know, but they knew all along? Is it, what, do you think it was something like that? Like, you thought people didn't realize you were on drugs, but... Uh, the first time that I got on it in 1987, I'd lost a bunch of weight. I went and, um, my ex-wife now, she told, uh, everybody said, Hey, he's a workaholic. He's just working all the time, you know, work, work, Which work. was that kind of true or were you not working? Yeah, I was a hard worker and, um, I would, uh, do my job during the day and, and remodel a house at night, and, but I was remodeling late at night so that I could get high. Gotcha. And so the first time I ever did the drugs and, and really, um, I would say, stayed on it for an extended period of time i lost a lot of weight and so because you just like don't eat that whole time right mm -mm. and so people started realizing hey there's something else going on here so fast forward to 1994 when i got to messing around with it again i thought well i'm going to trick them this time so i would make myself eat and i'll share about that in the book you know about how i would make myself eat donuts and and just just try to overcompensate yeah yes and so i kept my weight up 
and uh, I was able to uh, to hide it by that way. You tell people that's a magical weight loss pill. You just get on meth, and you'll lose a bunch of weight. You will. You, <laughs> will. you lose everything else in long. long yeah. Way too. Yeah. Um, so d- after that, you're taking drugs, but do you? Is it one of those things where you think like, I'm not addicted. I'm I'm in control of this type of deal. Or did you know like? I think. Uh, or were you addicted? I mean, I, I will. I will. I would say that. Uh, in, I don't think that I was as addicted to the drug as I was addicted to the control that I had over people with it. What do you mean by I, that? I would, uh, if I had the drug and you wanted it, you would do just about anything mm-hmm. I wanted you to do for it. And, gotcha. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's. And so at one point you started, you failed, figured out somebody out in California, right? Cause you were working out there. Yes. And you had figured out you could buy it in California and bring it back here and start selling it. Yes, yes. And that's in the, is that kind of what you're talking about as you started dealing? Yeah, 1994. I was there. I was actually working after the uh, Los Angeles earthquake. I was an independent insurance adjuster. And I was there working. And uh, a young man that leased the apartment to me came in with some crystal math. And at the time, I didn't know what pure crystal looked like. And he threw it out on the table there. And I looked at it and, and told him that looked like a bunch of junk to me. <laughs> and, uh, he, and he, assured me that it, so wasn't. it was like it was like the highest quality it was basically. yes it's as close to pharmaceuticals you could get and uh it was have you watched breaking bed no it's a movie about or a tv show about meth i was wondering if that was like that's kind of what they talk about in the movie it's like gets into some details i didn't know if it was yeah it, i mean it was if you look at this that. water right here and uh or this where it says recording and took that that glass there and broke it into little pieces Whoa, so it's it was just clear yes yeah, clear wow and so you went out there, and he introduced you to that. Yeah, You're like, this is something different than I've even. It was totally different gotcha. than anything that I'd experienced around here, and I'd stayed uh, fairly straight from about eighty-seven to ninety-four. I did a lot of drinking, and I might have, you know, j- uh, tried some cocaine or two a couple of times in between. Don't even remember doing that. I'm mainly drinking, mm-hmm. but that high in ninety-four was a high that like none other. And I thought, man, I've got to have this again, and so I flew several times back to California when I after I finished working there. So I was working in Texas at the time, and I'd fly from Dallas-Fort Worth to uh, Los Angeles a couple of times. And, and you're and, doing that, so your wife at the time didn't know about it, right? No, she didn't know Is what it, I was doing. It, she didn't even know I was out of town. I'd jump on a plane. It's and, insane. And, uh, you know, it's not like find my iPhone today. You can, yeah. you know, where, you know, where, you know yeah. where you are today. <laughs> yeah. And so when when they would call then, it's, it's just like, where are you? Well, I'm in Dallas. Yeah. You know? And so you were flying out there to find this this guy that had dealt you the... Yes. And I, I found him, and uh, but it was not ever the same drug again. It was uh, hmm. it was just a bunch of junk after that. Not any different than what I could find here in Oklahoma. Huh. You even um, went out there and you would fly it back, right? Through yeah. the airport? Yeah. Came through the airport with it. And the first time I, I came How through. How scary was that? that? Well, when I came through, it was pretty scary to me because I, I'd never done anything like that. I mean, yeah. that, just, that was just not me. I mean, people that knew me, they had no idea what I was doing. And they would I was the last one in my family with, that uh, anybody would have ever thought was doing this. Yeah. And, you know, I had some success in the insurance business and things were going really well. And you weren't the typical drug type person. Right? I no. mean, you successful and yeah, had a family right yes wife and daughter at the that, time yes 
yes. And uh, things are going well. And I was, I was on the road to, to having lots and lots of success. And you seem, to me, it seems like just the you know brief <laughs> few moments we've been talking, that did the drug dealing motivate you more than taking the drugs? Or that's, were you, that's were, actually the assistant district attorney that prosecuted me, who is now my friend. He <laughs> he said he asked me one day. He said, well, "How did you get hooked on this drug?" And I and I told him I said I don't really think I was as hooked on the drug as I was the control that I had over people. The with business it. side of it. The business side of it, you know, I said, hey, I said, if I want that, here. And they yeah. would go, go, you know. Name it, your price. Yeah. That's crazy. So how did that work? You were buying it in like what kind of quantity, like pounds type of deal? And then you bring it, it back? Toward the, toward the end, it got to the point where I was buying it a pound at a time. Sometimes Which is, two. is that a lot? That's a lot. And that, yeah. is that a lot of money? Yeah. If you took a, uh, uh, like a packet of sweet and low. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's one gram, and that's what you're selling and it, it as. Twenty eight grams in every ounce, and then so you, so do the math on how many of those little packets are in a pound. Wow! So was that was that expensive? I yeah, mean, were you I having to like? Did you have to build up? Like, I have no idea if that's. Like, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, it's uh, and there, the lady that I was buying it from there toward the end, she she actually started what they call fronting it to me, and uh, so I would go sell it <laughs> like a loan almost. Yeah, and. Um, and that's just the nature of the game. You don't usually get that uh, type of credit. They <laughs> they want their money up front because you never know when someone's going to get busted. Right. And uh, and I got busted a couple of times while she was my dealer. Really? Uh, yes. And you were buying from the uh, lady? Yeah. And was this in California or was she no, from she here? she was here in Oklahoma. And her dad would go to uh, Mexico and bring it up through Arizona and bring back 20-plus pounds at a time. Wow. Wow. So I was dealing with some pretty heavy hitters at the time. Didn't really realize it, and uh, but I can tell you that had God not reached down and saved me in that jail cell, my life would have. There's no. I, I don't think you and I would be having this conversation. That's crazy. So even up to the point. So this is. So even this point, you're still. I mean, you're still years from going to getting in any type of legal yes. trouble, right? Yes. Because I, I mean, even at this point, you still haven't really gotten in any legal trouble no, right no it was in uh, 1996 uh, yes it was is it was that kind of rare did most of the people like get in some sort of legal trouble at least or was it is it usually like zero and then yeah it was a uh, in 1996 90, uh, 94 is when when i was in uh, 95 i was going back and forth between texas and oklahoma and california and then eventually the uh the dealing just got a little bit heavier and heavier and to the point where i couldn't even maintain my job and so, gotcha. So when that started happening, people started really taking notice, and you know, there's something else going on with Larry besides the, the. Uh, and was this like your family noticed that your job, family, your boss started friends, noticing the that? Boss noticed Everybody. it, and uh, you know, when I accidentally shot myself in the hand. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that part. Yeah. yeah, and I was in actually in Arlington, Texas, and I'd just gotten back from California, and so I had plenty of drugs. And I was messing around and, and un- unloading one of my guns. And and I went out back of the, the motel there and shot it into the ground. And, and we were drinking and partying and forgot that it chambered one. And so here I am. I turn around. Someone says something behind me. And I turn around and it fired. Yeah, my finger accidentally hit the trigger. Oh, my goodness. And so after it hit, when it hit the trigger, I had no idea where the bullet went. And it was just a few seconds later that all of a sudden I could feel this, you know, my heart was beating, my heart was beating through my hand. 
And I said, I know where it went. Wow. And so it took out the this left hand, this, oh, pink, this the... pinky getting smashed off. The, the <laughs> your knuckle, poor left hand. The knuckle's gone. And you're left-handed. And, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, I didn't realize where the bullet had gone until I got back from the, the hospital. And just where you're sitting there, when it went, it actually went through my shirt. Oh, when my I, when, goodness. When I got back, I looked down, and I've got four holes in my shirt. It went in and out, in and out, went through my hand, and made a 90-degree turn and would have shot you. Wow. That's insane. And it got into the, to the, uh, between the frame and the window there and just bounced around. It looked like somebody got back with buckshot with a shotgun and shot into those drapes. There was probably 500 holes. What? Where that bullet, there's a 22, it just got in there and danced around and, and it went out the glass and made one hole about the size of a half dollar. And that story kind of blew up to be drug deal. You got in a drug deal gone bad, right? That's exactly what it, what it was. Because people and, were already suspecting it, so yes. it just kind of. And I was dealing drugs, and I was uh, pretty much that was the end of the road as far as uh, me and the insurance adjusting. I did try it a little bit more. In did they sit you down and like, like say, "Listen, I think you're <laughs> on drugs. We no, need to talk they, about it," or was it just no, like they told me to go home, and take a break for a while? Oh, okay. Go home and take a break, and I went home and took a break and. Fired back up in 1996. I uh, got busy with the adjusting again. Oh, gotcha. But, but I got so high and was dealing with this drug that I could care less about that. Uh, so to, this is where it starts kind of taking starts, a toll on your yes, life. that's where it starts caving in. So what happened? You forget the part from here. It took like a year or two, and you just started getting more and more involved with that and less and less involved with <laughs> real job, I guess you could say. Yeah, the big charges started in 98. 1998, 99, 2000, and to the end of 2000, or to the first part of 2001. And that so was, it still took a few years for you to... Mm-hmm. But I, like I said, I was making really good money, and so when I'd get in trouble, pay the right lawyer, pay the right bondsman, and that's how I stayed out of jail for so long. Yeah. played the, I played, basically played the system. Yeah. And you finally get... Um, Basically, in with the a person that is going to try to make it, right? Is that yes, how you that, ended up yeah, finally getting yeah. kind of the, the one charge you couldn't it dodge got, type yeah, of deal? You got to the point in 2000, 2001, and I started hanging around people that were manufacturing the methamphetamine. Now, was this the same lady that her dad was bringing it from Mexico, or is this a different lady? No, this is a different Different one. lady. This is a different one. And uh, got to hanging around with this, this lady. Actually, the connection with the one out of uh, Mexico happened after this charge happened and that, that connection wow. happened after. And so this charge was hanging over my head. And, uh, so we end up uh, going to, I got to hanging around with people that were manufacturing and, and that was, uh, that was not a good thing. And, uh, I never, even though the law enforcement and district attorneys and everyone thought I was the methamphetamine cook, they, they thought that, Hey, he's the cook in about three or four counties. Well, I wasn't, uh, and uh, I've been able to share that with some of the law enforcement from back in the days. And uh, we've become friends, and, and I've talked to them and said, hey, I was I was not the guy, but I did hang around it. I was around it. I did conspire. That 20-year sentence that you gave me, I did conspire. But I, I could never tell you, sit down and tell you that, yeah, I could put this all together because I couldn't. Right. Did, I didn't want to. I would look at the... the uh, the ones that were manufacturing it and the ones that were using needles and I never used a needle, never stuck a needle in my arm. Thank God for that. 
And but is I, that but is was, that why did people is that like a different type of high or something? Or I guess would, I, they say it is. I mean, it, it's straight into the bloodstream at that time. And, uh, and so I never I'd look at these people and I see them even still today. And I never and I just uh, I didn't want to be that way. I said, that's not me. I don't that's you know, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so it was God. I feel like God was tugging on my heartstring even way back saying, hey, stop, you know, stop. And like I said, it was in that jail cell 2001 when God reached down and saved me. Yeah. And in how you got there, you, so after this last charge, that was kind of the last, you got um, arrested at this point with the the people that were, y'all were trying to cook it or whatever. Yes. We, and you weren't even trying to cook it, right? You just no, I was, I actually just showed up on the scene after the fact. Yeah. And uh, because a friend of mine was there and I felt like I put him in that position. So I was basically going to go rescue him and, and get the other two out of but here. But you had told them not to cook meth in that apartment, right? Do not right? do it. I told the two to lay down. My friend's going to work today. And while he's at work, you guys rest. I'll come back and pick you up and take you to a safe place tonight. That's crazy. And, so they decided, to, let's just go ahead and cook it here. Yeah, they right? went ahead and did it there. And by the time when I got there, didn't realize it, but the place was surrounded by police officers. They were evacuating the building. Wow. And so you rolled up, if I remember the story correctly, you roll up and you had heard that they were trying to cook it there. So you were going to go tell them not to, basically. No, they'd already done They'd already made, they'd already they'd cooked. Already made the cook. And then when I was on the phone with my friend, and he told me that the neighbor lady was kind of going crazy. And I said, well, I'll be over there in a second. I said, what's going on? And, and I, he told me that uh, they were finished. And I said, finished with what? Oh, my goodness. And he said, she finished. He said, she did it while I was gone today. And I, and basically, I was told him, I said, you need to get up and get out of there. And he said, we've already cleaned up. Everything's in the dumpster and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. So the girl that I was living with at the time, she begged me not to go. Don't go. Don't go. And uh, I show up on the scene and, and – uh, the rest is history. They That's busted crazy. all of us. So you get arrested and you That's spent- the one that made the newspapers on the front page of the, the Norman paper at the time. And Was that pretty humbling? Yeah. Or did it, you, it, or were you still like, ah? Well, at that time, yeah, it, it was, uh, it really affected my mom and dad and my daughter and uh, from my first marriage. And, and I. And How old just, was she at this point? She, let's see, that was in uh, 90, was it 98 or 99? She, she would have been. Uh, 10, 11 years old. Gotcha. So she probably kind of remembers that, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she remembers it. That's insane. There's still some scars there. What was it like? I mean, you had to call your parents and tell them, right? I mean, what was that like? It was uh, called mom and dad first and uh, had a big bond. And initially, and you couldn't shake that bond, right? No, no. I. Uh, it was, um, the, the bond at that time was 20 grand. And uh, I saw one of my former attorneys at the, when they were booking me in, he was there, and I said, hey, I need you to represent me. First, he asked me, so what are you doing here? And I told him. He said, dude, that's a bad charge. He said, that's a mandatory 20-year sentence. And uh, I said, well, And I you had no idea, right? No, had no idea. And I said, well, I need you to represent me. And I think I shared this in the book. He said that my favors with the DA and you have run out. You need to find someone else. <laughs> he, said, I, he said, I can take your money, but I can't beat this for you. Mm. It, it, did you start getting scared then, or when did you start yeah, getting worried, like, it, I might actually go to prison? I, I actually, I mean, it scared me a little at the time, because I was sober at the time, <laughs> and uh, I wasn't high. You know, the other guys, the other three, they were as high as a cop. So I'm, here I am in jail, thinking, you know, 
this is pretty serious. This is major stuff. And eventually I started getting other charges, uh, possession, possession with intent, uh, all kinds of different other charges that were related to the drugs. And, and, uh, but that one ended up being my controlling case. And what did you end up getting sentenced for? That was such a big deal. Was that the with intent to distribute type of deal or no, it's conspiracy to manufacture conspiracy method. to manufacture. Yeah, gotcha. Conspiracy. Which is so funny cause that wasn't even really what you were doing. Right. I mean, well at the time, yes. I mean, I was, or does that just was, mean you're involved was, with it? Basically. I was guilty of that. Uh, the, uh, the people that got on the stand and testified against me, uh, she was the actual cook. Gotcha. And, uh, she got on the stand and testified, she testified against, against you, wow. testified against me because they all thought, all the law enforcement and the district attorneys, they thought I was the one. Right. And, and it took just up until about three years ago when I convinced the former assistant DA. I said, man, I wasn't the guy. He said, we thought you were. And I said, no, I was not the one. I said, I was around it. And so basically in the courtroom you know, for conspiracy to happen, all you have to do is talk about it. And wow. that's, that was the question to the, to uh, the assistant DA asked the lady on the stand and, said, did Larry ever ask you how to make methamphetamine? Yes, he did. That's Your it. Your Honor, I'd like to uh, amend that charge to from manufacturing to conspiracy to manufacture. And I leaned over to my lawyer and I said, is that better? And he said, no, it's still 20 years. It doesn't matter. Wow. So it didn't matter. It was 20 all the way. and uh, But that I was guilty of that charge. Wow. That's so crazy. So is it kind of like, <laughs> this is funny, but I'm finally getting to ask somebody in person, but... Is it kind of like the movies where you like, they're like on this, you're guilty. We find you guilty. And it's like, there's your sentence and you go off to j- prison no, from there. At that time, they just bound me over for trial and they went ahead and let me stay out on bond. And then I started playing the system and, and, and that was in 99, 90, 98. I think it was 1998. And what do you mean playing the system? I started, uh, when I'd get in trouble, I would, uh, I would hire and fire attorneys I would and go, so you can get extra time from doing that. Well, I would you you buy time. You would like I say if I was going to a preliminary hearing, and um, and I would never recommend this. By the way, <laughs> yeah, I would go into the preliminary hearing, and one day I would have an attorney, and then the next time they would they would say, okay, they reset the PH PHC preliminary hearing conference, and then I would fire that attorney. In the meantime, show back up without an attorney. And then he would say, you need to get an attorney. The judge would. And so I started playing the system. Gotcha. But I had enough money to do it at the time. It's oh, because that's it's expensive sit- to hire and fire. Yeah, when you're hiring and firing and, and just and uh, paying the bondsman. But it eventually got to the point where the system caught up with me and I couldn't, couldn't outrun it. So after you get, I mean, there has to be like a first day where you are going to prison. Is that, was that like that first day that you actually went there, are you still like have that like, I'm going to get out of here mentality or are you still at this point, are you still just kind of like, okay, it's over. Like at, at any point, did you just say like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm really going, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. In the jail cell in 2001, uh, you read in the book about me when, uh, when the Lord reached down and saved me, I was, uh, my youngest brother had to come in and do some time for a DUI. Oh, yeah. And so he had come in on and do weekend time and so I called home. I was talking to mom and dad. And at the time, I still had my drug connection, and you know, the one coming out of Mexico. So you're still trying to do drugs. Even though you got sentenced, you never like. I've been sentenced to two tens at that time in uh, in the McLean and what County. What does that mean? Uh, two two ten-year sentences. Okay. So does that mean like 
I mean, is that different than a 20 year? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's to- the- total, I was sentenced to 101 years, but everything was running concurrent. And what that means, everything runs together with that controlling case. And that controlling case happened to be conspiracy to manufacture gotcha. methamphetamine. That's a 20 year sentence. So I had to plead out to that 20 in order to have them all run concurrent. Had I not, they would have ran them consecutive, and that meant that I would not be having this conversation with you. I'd still be doing my 101 years. Wow. And so in the jail cell that night, you know, I I called home and talked to my mom and dad, and I could hear my little brother in the background. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was on the 9th, just a couple of days ago, that this happened, uh, 19 years ago, sitting in that jail cell, called home, talked to my little brother, and said, just take care of it. You know what I'm talking about. Well, that means bring me some drugs because I was not finished with it. I'd planned on going into the system with my connection and being the big drug dealer in the system. Inside. Wow. And so my little brother comes in on that uh, Friday night, and not only did he come in, they this is how you know it was a God moment, how it was a divine appointment from God. He came in, and they put him in the same cell with me. That just doesn't happen. This is in because they didn't. They they knew it was us. kind of they a knew whoops. us. Oh, gotcha. They knew us. And that, I just believe that they had uh, their eyes were closed by God. Is what I feel like you know, looking back now. And when he came into the cell with us, had the drugs. He laid down and went to sleep that night. He didn't want to do any of the drugs. Me and the guy in the bottom bunk, we did it. <laughs> Gave some to the trustees. And I was high, but I was miserable. I was miserable. And I looked down at my little brother that night, and I said, Lord, I'm sick and tired of this life. If I can influence my little brother to do something this illegal, how can I influence him and others by serving you? And immediately, that was taken and lifted from me. So after The drugs, even the want to, to do the drugs, it was gone. Did you did you ever feel like you were addicted, like you know, like a clinical addiction at any point, or did you, you know what I mean? At this point, or were you at that time st- still at that on it pretty heavy? At that time, yeah, I was still on it. I mean, just a few days prior to that, oh, I was gotcha. on so it. you were still taking drugs quite yes. a bit. Yeah, right up to the point, and and even into the sale there after uh, you know he brought it in, <clears throat> and uh, so yeah, we were doing quite a bit at, toward the end. But that day in uh, fe- uh, February 9th, 2001, I was completely set free. Yeah. Completely. So you totally changed your mindset after this, too, of of the way you were going to be in jail, too. Like you decided, I'm not going to be the <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be the, the drug guy. That, I'm not want, gonna... that want to, it was gone. Disappeared. It, it disappeared. And <clears throat> after that, you kind of, I guess, just are determined to be a hard worker and really just like serve yourself. Like you weren't really trying to get out early. I mean, necessarily that wasn't your, not your life mission, I guess. No, I filed a point, sentence right? modification the first year and they modified a sentence, but they modified one of my smaller sentences. <laughs> they didn't modify the 20, <laughs> the 20 year. year. And so I just, I thought, well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get fit, uh, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And I did. And so you were supposed to be out. I mean, so you're like, I'm going to be in here 20 years, so let's just make the best of it type of attitude. Yep. Got in, got to start working out, and uh, really started, uh, (laughs) you know, reading the Bible and uh, just digging into God's Word. And I went in at 280-something pounds and got out at about 220. 
and Whoa. I was doing over a thousand push-ups a day. What? And uh, got really fit. So you were just reading and working out all the time. Reading, much? working out. I worked as a tutor uh, the last three years when I was in prison, as and helped guys get their GEDs. And, huh. You know their basic education. Uh huh. That's crazy. You had to still have some like pretty crazy stories about prison, though. You have any like crazy or funny stories or anything like that? Mm, the uh, I actually well yeah I'll tell you once in the it's actually in the book <clears throat> and. Um, Back in, if we flipped the book here and went back to the back here, this officer that's here in this picture here. Okay. I'll tell you this this story. This was at the uh, prison rodeo in uh, 2004, <clears throat> and uh, we were we were in McAllister behind the walls, the prison rodeo, and I was in the band. And uh, and what was the prison rodeo? It was just a rodeo for everybody in the prison type. Of, I mean, it is yeah, what it sounds they, like. <laughs> they came from all over the state, and uh, a lot of the people that came, the spectators, I mean, they they want to see the the blood and guts, you know. And so they wanted to see money the hard way, and <laughs> money the hard way. Uh, I was we were sitting and watching in the, from the band, money the hard way. The guys, they would put a hundred dollar bill on the bull's horn. Get and out those of here. guys would go out there. I'm telling you, I, I saw guys get knocked 20 feet in the air. I mean, you know, they would sit there and, and they, they would take that bull on, and it was like, man. So a lot of spectators came to see that. Wow. They, they, they wanted to see the, the, you know, the blood and the guts, the, yeah. watch them get smashed out. And I'm surprised that more of them didn't get hurt really bad. But Do they still have those? No, no, no. they've shut those down. And uh, But we were playing in the band, and, and um, we uh, had finished that night. And the officer that's in the book here that I talk about, he's no longer there. He's he's working in the oil business out. In, he's out actually out in West Texas now. We've we've started communicating, and we got into the van, and he uh, turned around. And he said, "You you guys uh, like fried chicken?" And so, I mean, all four of us in the band said, "Yeah." Well, how long has it been? Well, it's been a while since we've had any fried chicken. Prison, prison food's nothing to write home about, I guess. Oh, it depends. Uh, it if the if the uh, the officers over the what they call the chow hall uh-huh. if they ever turn their back the guys that are cooking have to eat the same food so they'll put a little extra sugar in it or oh, actually gotcha. it actually wasn't too bad i gotcha. mean the baloney the baloney sandwiches every day was at lunchtime <laughs> that was, that was kind of rough that got old you don't eat those anymore yeah i still like baloney oh really yeah, okay actually, i didn't know if it burns you i out really like life it or... if it's smoked you know <laughs> yeah over here at bedlam barbecue that's pretty good <laughs> yeah and uh, so anyway, uh, Officer Williams at the time, we go to the little store. He goes inside. He said, I'm going to go in and buy some chicken. And here we're thinking we're shackled and cuffed. We've got the black box on us. You know, we can't. What we, is the black? You talked about that several times. What is the black? Was it was it like a just an extra preventative deal or what was it? Yeah, the black box is uh, it keeps it. it you're, able, you're not able to swivel your hands in the cuffs. It, it actually oh. locks them down to where. Your hands, your so it goes over your hands. The other, like it, the cuffs are over you your wrist. The, you got the cuffs on your wrist, okay. and then it goes over the swivel in the center with another padlock. Gotcha. And so gotcha. you can't, uh, you can't swivel your hands around and try to undo the cuffs. It's mm-hmm. it's almost virtually impossible. And so he he said, "I'm going to uncuff you guys and let you eat this chicken on the way back." And <laughs> and looking back, I got several friends that have uh, their officers have been, uh-huh. you know, way up into the to the uh, administration in uh, DOC, Department of Corrections. And I've asked several of them, I said, would he have gotten fired over this and and the story that I'm about to tell you? And and every one of them have said immediately. Really? Why did he do that? I just think that he... Did he like you guys? He liked us, and he told me uh, 
when I, when I was finishing up the, the writing of the book, he, he told me that he trusted us. Huh. And, uh, he said, I, he said, I knew Larry that you wanted to go home at some point in time. And Roy was the, the bass player. He was a good guy. He said, if the other two would have tried to run, he said, I think y'all would have stopped them. Huh. And so, so he knew you two he, felt he tr- like he knew you really well. He, type yeah. Of he trusted us. And, um, and what were, do you know, like what all you guys were in there for? Were all of you for like drugs or what was it? Uh, mainly, yeah, me, the drummer <laughs> were drugs. Uh, the uh, uh, bass player, he was drugs. And then the uh, the uh, guitar player, the rhythm guitar player, he was uh, DUIs. Gotcha. And uh, so he uncuffs us. We're so he eating. uncuffs you and then goes in or he no, went he, in first? He, when he comes out and we get okay. out, we get down the road a little ways. He didn't do it right there in front was of Was it him and another officer or just him by himself? There was another officer that was driving. And he even asked me, he said, do you remember who that was? I said, I have no idea. Huh. He said, I can't remember it either. He said, oh, but, weird. But, but he said, I must have trusted him. Yeah. I said, we must have. And so here we are eating the chicken. We're on our way back to Howard McLeod at, down in Atoka from McAllister. And we're eating chicken like crazy, man. It was good. <laughs> and so, And we get about two miles from the facility, and it's time to cuff us back up. And so he gets everybody cuffed up, but he could not get my black box he couldn't get it locked back up. It was broken or something. It, he, we still don't know. We, we've talked about this several times. He said, I don't know what happened. Uh, and so, so this, is he freaking out? He's freaking out. I'm freaking out because this officer at the time was notorious for kind of roughhousing. I mean, he, uh, he would, you know, he was a pretty good sized guy. And, and if some, one of the inmates decided, Hey, I'll take you on. He, he'd get it. He'd get, he'd gotcha. throw down with him. And so here I am thinking, you know, is this a setup? Is this what he's doing with me? Oh, so you were it, scared that he was yeah, about so to this starts spinning betray around. you, basically. This, yes, this starts spinning around in my mind. And so, so now you're really he freaking said, out. when we get back to the facility, he was freaking out. And we were two miles from the facility. So we've got to go now. They're going to come and start looking for us. And so we get over to the facility. He said, just fall out on my side and bump into me. And, I, and I'm thinking, bump into an officer? That's assault and battery. And so all this is spinning around in my mind. So and now you're really freaking out thinking I'm he's trying really, to set you up on more really charges. Really freaking out. So I, I didn't have any choice except to do that, to keep everyone out of trouble. And so I bail out and bump into him, and, and it's kind of like Houdini. It's like, whoa, 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 here we are. <laughs> you know, not, no, no cuffs on me, no black box. And we talked about that. He said, I still to this day don't know why that lock would not lock. That's crazy. And so we, we're all scared, and, and we've, we've cut up. We laughed. When he called me, and we, I, I made contact with him through the writing of this book, when I finally Were made, you trying to just kind of get his side of the story, basically? Well, I, I talked about him in the book, but then after speaking to him personally, I could put a name to it. I oh, could put, gotcha. So put, you, I was able to— I didn't to, realize you put his actual name in there. Yeah, gotcha. that's his actual name. That's and, so cool. Uh, so, and I also did that also to let people know that not all the officers are bad. I mean, he he showed, yeah. he showed his favor, and and I wanted the guys that read this that that are incarcerated to say, hey, you know, not all these officers are bad in Out here. Out to get there, you, there's, yeah. There's some that are trying to help you, and right, you know, he he went with us at the band uh, or the band to the rodeo, and and uh, he ran the sound for us, and and now we're good friends. We That's talk all so the time. Cool. Are you serious? That's yep, so that cool. picture in the back of the book here was was actually, recent. Was actually taken. Uh, Right before the publishing of this in April, I think that was in March of 2019, 
and we were in Paul's Valley. He came up from uh, Houston, Texas, and uh, his some of his family lives in Durant. So he he came over from Durant, met him and his wife, met me and my wife, and in Paul's Valley, and we had coffee and. We we're actually going to have breakfast, but we got to talking so much. We sat there for four hours Get out and never, here. never had any breakfast. So we, we sat there and we talked and we talked and we talked and, and, uh, but we've become really good friends through this. And That's so cool. So this was kind of towards the end of you yes. being in, in, so what happens after this? He uh, initially before this same officer that I'm telling you about before this all happened, he called me to the mail room one day. And uh, yelled my DOC number over the loudspeaker and said, "Report to the mail room immediately." Which was really scary, right? At that time, is that what you? Yeah, at that time it was. You know, because I said I've just I've just recently checked the mail list and my name was not highlighted. And so I'm thinking, why am I going to the mail room? And I go to the mail room, and this same officer that I'm telling you about, who's become my friend, he told me to. I knocked on the door, and he said, "Come in, sit down over there." Oh man. So you're and, freaking out. And so I'm kind of freaking out. I look over there, and there's my mug shot on the screen, all my rap sheet pulled up. He's got everything pulled up. And he looked at me and said, I really want to hate you. And I said, why? I haven't done anything to you. Hold on. So this is the fried chicken guy? Yeah, this is the fried chicken guy. So huh. the fried chicken thing happened after this. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And so this right here, um, giving a lot of the book away here, but this happened, <laughs> He, you know, when he said that. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't have to read it. But he said, uh, sit down over there. And he told me, he said, I really want to hate you. And so I'm looking at him thinking, what, what's going on here? <laughs> he lost a brother to drugs, lost his life. And he looked at my charges and he said, I really want to hate you, but there's something different about you. Hmm. You know, I had a piece about me. You know, once I gave my life to the Lord in that jail, that jail cell, there was a piece about me I, like no other. I mean, Bible talks about it, the peace that passes all understanding. And that's, and I felt like that's where I was and still am in my life today. Yeah. But at that time, yeah, he offered to write letters to the probation uh, or the parole board uh, to the judges. And he said, you know, I'll deny that I've ever said that, but he said, I've never done that before. And he said, I really don't even know why I'm telling you that. Wow. So we became good friends after that. We actually became friends then. We didn't realize we were friends. Yeah. <laughs> So after that, you end up getting, um, I don't know what they call it, but you basically got your sentence shortened, right? And yeah, in 2000, that was in 2004, and I get a I call home and talk to my dad, and he had oh, yeah. spoken to an attorney, and dad asked me, are you ready to get out of there? And I said, yeah, I was ready the first year. And dad said, no, you weren't. You weren't ready that first year. Do you believe, I mean, do you, do you believe that, I guess, the time that you spent there was actually good for you? Or, oh, yeah. Or, save my life if i if i would have stayed out of it had they not arrested me when they did in 2001 i was getting real close to putting a needle in my arm and i never used a needle to do to ingest any drugs so had i ever gone to the needle i don't think that I, would, I don't back. think i would have ever come back because yeah. i carried everything to the extreme yeah <laughs> and so i thank god that he saved my life because if i'd have stayed out an extra week or maybe another day or two. Right. I would have had a needle in my arm. And the guy that had gotten in contact with your dad, go ahead with that story. He, yeah, sorry. the attorney. And uh, so he said that uh, he had a deal worked out to uh, get me out early. And what's with that? Do they just look up cases and like try to figure out? I really don't know exactly can, how it all happened. You know what I mean? Because you, you didn't know, even reach out to that guy, no, right? No, no. It was not an attorney that I normally would use. And uh, But he had made a deal with the DA's office. and, and uh, the They D- just like go down a list and are like, I the DA, get this the guy DA agreed to let me out early. 
and uh, he, uh, the former assistant district attorney, told my dad, uh, told the DA at the time, that God had put it on his heart to get me out early. And so this is the same guy that was in the courtroom at 101 years. That's crazy. And we've become friends, like I said, and he's not uh, practicing law any longer. He's not at the district attorney's office, but we've become friends now. And, and um, it's just, uh, it's, it's amazing what uh, can happen once you give your life to the Lord and how things can come full circle. You know, the ones you think your enemies that I thought back in the days, the police, yeah. the DAs, the judges, man, they're, they're out to get your me. biggest advocates. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. So they go back through there, you go through that, and then... Um, you got I mean, did they say you'll be out in this many months or this this happened in November, the phone call to the attorney. And Mm -hmm. then, uh, that was in, uh, November of 2004 in February of 2001. I was out. You said 2001, you mean February of what? I'm sorry. February, 2005, 2005, February of 2005. I was three days shy of being a total of four years. Wow. That's crazy. And is that very common? Like getting your sentence reduced that much? It is more today. You know how governor has been signed off on these sentences and commuted these sentences and uh, give them time served. But that was very uncommon at that time. Gotcha. Very uncommon. Once they locked you up, it was like, see you later. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see you when your sentence is over. Gotcha. That's insane. What did that feel like getting out? Of, out? Well, what was the first it, thing you did? The first thing I did, I went across the street to my attorney's office and Give change and, hug. and change clothes <laughs> 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 because See? I've got a cousin. She actually works. She still works. She still works at at, uh, at the uh, sheriff's office at Cleveland County, and so I'm being released in gray uniform. <laughs> It says, you know, yeah, corrections on the back yeah. or inmate on. I don't even remember what it said on the back. That's all I had. And you're walking around. And so I'm walking out of the, the sheriff's <laughs> office, walking down the sidewalk. Someone had called 911 and said, hey, you got an inmate. He's escaping out here. And they said, no, he's supposed to be out there. That's so funny. So I walked across the street and my <laughs> uncle was there and uh, he had clothes at my attorney's office and I changed clothes. And, and uh, yeah, that was a good feeling. And uh, I'm not a big fan of a uh, Golden Corral, uh, but... It sure tastes. That's good. where you went first. Yeah, yeah, sure. Get out of here! Yeah. Come on. I think, I, yeah, that same night, had, and uh, that's when my dad had uh, called my daughter and had her to come up and see me. She really? Know, she had no idea I was getting out. Wow. What was that like? It was. Uh, it was a good emotional. Meeting. Yeah, pretty I'm emotional. Sure. Yeah. And so, how old was she at that point? That would have been let's see, two thousand five. She would have been nineteen. Okay, gotcha. So she was a little bit older. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy, and. 19, is that right? 2005, uh, she was born in 86. So do the math, 86, 96. It's good to me. Yep, that is, 19. We need a calculator. We need quick draw, quick draw guy over there. Um, so after you do that, you're starting from scratch, right? Starting I mean, you have no scratch. money. I don't, mean, I don't mean to get like super personal, but like you don't have any money. No, you're no, I, think I, can, I mean, I think I left your wife had a, left you, right? I think I left there with 170 something dollars that were on my books and and had I not had a ride, you know, they would, they'll give you a free bus ticket, but, uh, <laughs> but wow. I ended up having a ride. My uncle came and picked me up. That's crazy. So you start, or I'm sorry, you... I'm sorry. He, they, he came and picked me up at the, uh, after I got out of the courthouse, but the ride from the, uh, department of corrections to the courthouse happened with the sheriff. 
Wow. Deputy Sheriff. He said, we'll take you this far. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they had, it was, it was on a writ. Gotcha. To bring me back to court. And you, so what'd you do? Did you move back in? I can't remember this part. I don't know my if you mom took... and dad. And, you know, here I am out, you know, in my late 30s. and Starting over. I'm, I'm sorry, at my early 40s and having to start all over again and thinking that, uh, you know, I'm just going to do what I have to do. And, and it's funny, I come out from behind razor wire in the Department of Corrections in my first job, I'm, I'm building, actually building barbed wire fences. Get out of here. <laughs> You're like, I can show you all the weak points. <laughs> so building those barbed wire fences and, and the metal building. and But I was in really good shape. You know, I came, yeah. out, I came out at about 220 pounds. And That's a I good was, boot camp. Yeah, I was pretty muscled up. <laughs> That's so. crazy. So you get out, you're starting from scratch, and you go back to the one thing you kind of knew, right? What your dad had yeah, I actually, I just, I was just looking for a job at the time, and then I had to go to a little class and get my driver's license back because of the former drug charges, and, that's and crazy. Uh, so I, once I got all that established, that's when I got that job, and and then I was uh, eventually after Hurricane Katrina hit. Oh, I forgot you kind of did some insurance stuff. After yeah, that. I was an independent insurance adjuster all those years, and and uh, when Katrina had hit, I was uh, my uncle had called me, the same uncle that picked me up, and. Uh, he uh, he called and told me that a friend of mine was wanting me to come to uh, Mobile, Alabama, and work. And I told him, I said, "Hey, I've lost my adjuster's license, you know." And I said, "I can't can't do this any longer." And he said, "I don't think he wants you to come and work. I think he's wanting you to train some guys." And so I called my friend, and I was standing standing in the end zone of a football game down at Washington, and uh, called him, and uh, it was visiting with him over the phone, and. And uh, he said, "I need you down here and uh, some, to train some guys." And I told him, "I said, man, I'm just going. I'm going to have to pray about it. I don't think I want to do this any longer." And he said, "Well, it pays 750 bucks a day." He said, "How long do you need to pray about it?" And I said, "When do you need me there?" <laughs> so I'm making 10 bucks. An, I'm making 10 bucks an hour building a barbed wire fence. It didn't take me long to figure out. But then all of a sudden, I'm thinking, "Well, how am I going to get there? I don't have a car." <laughs> You're like, "Amen. I'm on my way." <laughs> So I did go, and I uh, ended up being there for 16 months. Wow. So it got me back on my feet. Gotcha. So you were able to uh, make some good money in that time. Made some really good money. And did you start your own business after that? Came back, and I actually took on a contract inspecting job for a gas company here, a local gas company, and uh, took on that job. And then <clears throat> I was just bored, and so I started my own construction company back up the uh, 777 Roofing and Construction, and, and then uh, Five Star Builders, my home building company. Gotcha. Um, do you like, do you like the construction industry or what did you, what yes. drew you back to that? I, I was raised in it. My dad, gotcha. my dad was a general contractor. Did you, did you, do you like the construction side more or do you like the roofing side or what's, I like the what's more of your, I, I like both, but, uh, I get to deal with a lot more people, uh, on the roofing side because oh, gotcha. there's a lot more projects. Uh huh. And I, I just, I like talking people, to people. I like, yeah, I'm a people person. Tell the story. I mean, that kind of wraps up. I guess your life story, but tell the story about how, or I don't know if you even know this. I can't remember if y'all talked about this or not, but how, so my mom came to know about you obviously through the coffee shop, but you had met her. I don't know how long ago it was before the coffee shop, uh, from a mutual friend. Cause she was on the side of the road, right? In that she, there was a, I believe it was a suburban. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yep. I was on the side of the road. I seen the lady. I saw a lady. And you would have had just gotten out of, Jail yeah, this I time, hadn't right? been out very long. Well, let's see, that would have been about 2006 or 2007. And um, 
I was uh, working for the gas company. Yeah. And I'm driving down the Kilpatrick Turnpike, and uh, there's a lady on the side of the road with a flat tire. And so I pulled over, and I'm on the side of the road changing this flat. And about that time, another gentleman pulls up, which was her dad. And then uh, a company that makes uh, cabinets, Ward Wood. Yeah. And he introduced himself as Scott Ward. And so we we exchanged a little bit of information and uh, got the flat fixed, and we move on. And so one day I was in uh, the Wild Hero coffee shop where your mother. Hey, now that she gets owns. a shout out, we're gonna have to charge her for this. Yeah, for this episode let, to let, be sponsored. Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, so I walk in, and uh, my wife was wanting a coffee, and she said, "I'm going to go through the drive-through." And I said, "No, come on in." I said, "I'm already inside." So my wife walks in, and I walk up to the counter and order it, and she orders hers, and and just out of the blue, your mom said, "Now, what actually do you do, Larry? What what's your business?" And I told she knew you from coming to the coffee shop, right? She, that was it. At this pretty point, much. Yeah, and yeah, she saw yeah. me, and I'd have my roofing sure. shirt on one day, and I may have the home building shirt on another day, depending sure. on which hat I was wearing that day. <laughs> and she said that uh, when I told her that I had a home building company and a roofing company, and she said, "Who who do you use? Uh, do you ever use Ward Wood?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "We actually do." And I said, "Let me tell you how I met Scott." And I and this was <laughs> this was great. like seven eight years later. And uh, I said, I met Scott when I was changing a lady's flat tire out on the Kilpatrick Turnpike, and your mom's face got almost white. She said, that lady was me. <laughs> and so, so like crazy. one of my pastors says, you better be nice all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But it just kind of freaked your mom out and kind of freaked me out, too. Yeah. It's like, wow, how did this happen? Yeah, kind of a weird coincidence. But anyways, yeah, I, I had asked her, I said, is there anybody you know, you know, through the coffee shop or anything that would be good? to have on the podcast and your name was the first she said i she said i read his book she actually had given me the copy of her book and uh said you got to read it she said he comes in all the time next time he comes in i'll i'll ask him for his number but yeah she was tracking anyways. me down she'd already sent word through one of my friends you know hey christy at the coffee shop's looking <laughs> which for i you hadn't and, even read the book yet i could have found you through the you yeah. know your website or whatever but anyways that's so crazy but let me tell you the biggest miracle in this book, or one of the largest miracles, is toward the end when I went back to court in 2017. Oh, yeah, I forgot about all this part, yeah. When I went back to court in 2017, this is very unheard of, and uh, but some decisions that the judge had made back in 2006 basically set, the, the, uh, set it into motion, and then the laws had changed in 2011. And I went back to court in two, 2017 and got a complete expungement of my criminal record. It's gone. And why, you know, I thought about this while I was reading the book. Is that, was that important f- for you just for your reputation? Was it important for something with business or anything like that? Was it, did, or did you just want it just, removed? Or? We, we just, we, we Does it hold it. a lot of things up? No, it didn't hold anything up. I still had my businesses started and uh, everything was going well. And I just, I think... To glorify God, I think in order for this book to be a finished product, that had to happen. And so that when that happened, that's when the writing of this book really gotcha. got serious. We really got serious about it at that point. Gotcha. So that happened in August of 17, and we finished the book pretty much in December of 18. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't finished until I met that DOC officer and got the full-blown story about the chicken. Yeah, that's a crazy story. Did uh, So I was able to put real names to the story. 
Right, yeah. And the, the pictures are cool too, the to be able to see. Yeah, it's a kind of a kind of a chronologically how yeah. things, you know, started as a child and Yeah, go from there. There's one picture I had hair then. You know, <laughs> my, my senior picture, I look pretty cool. Actually, I got a friend that uh, he played ball at OU. He saw my senior picture and we were moving from one of our houses to another one and his uh, daughter lived next door and I said, "Hey Eric, come over here." And I showed him my senior picture, and he goes, dude, that looks just like the Bee Gees. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's So a, that, that was a big miracle in my life, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a testimony to what I think if you remain faithful to God, he's always faithful. He says it in his word. He, he's, he's, not, he's not a man that he should lie. He's always, he's, he's always faithful. Yeah. That's crazy. Did uh, After that, did as far as the book goes— when did you actually get like a, a physical copy of that? It hadn't been that long then. Right? April of 2019. Oh, so we it hadn't actually, even been a year yet. Actually, I got my, uh, uh, the one to proofread in probably, uh, for, it was, uh, it was first part of April. Gotcha. And once we proofed it, uh, it was, it was live in just a, just a few days. Wow. That's crazy. How does that work? You, you have some copies with Amazon, some copies with, you can buy it different you can places. Just, you just go on to Amazon. It's, it's a uh, print on demand. And so they oh, gotcha. they can order however many they want if they hmm. if they uh, if they go to LarryAndrews dot com which it supports our ministry to help us to to be able to put money back into the ministry to purchase books ourselves to give to people that can't afford them most of the time and and uh, they uh, but LarryAndrews dot com I'll send them a an autograph copy sign that copy I'll sign that I'll actually sign that <laughs> one if they buy it off of Amazon uh, Barnes and Noble any of the other distributors wherever they there's a lot of them out there, and they're everywhere. If they buy it from them, we don't really have that personal relationship, right. unless they shoot us an email or something. That later, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And we We're, love reviews. Give us. Oh yeah, we just talked us, about yeah, that. I yeah. almost forgot. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna hold you to that. Okay, I gotta review it tonight. Um, where did? Are where you did sure people, you read the book? I pro- come on. <laughs> I ask you every question out of it. I read it in one sitting. Um. Yeah, yeah. There's no Cliff Notes copy. That so I that that means even a first grader could read it, huh? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> even a dope like me can finish it. Yeah, I'm the true testament to that. Um, where can people get a hold of you? They can uh, reach out to me at LarryAndrews.com, and uh, they can uh, they uh, they could email me there off the website, and uh, they could call me. Get it from me. I got your yeah. cell phone now. Yeah. You're a popular figure like you. I'm Yeah, we flattered. might not want to put the put the uh, phone number out there just yet, but you <laughs> might have sure. to edit that like out. Like we said, there's only like five people, so yeah. as long as most of them are my family. So. But LarryAndrews.com, that's our <laughs> that's our ministry website. And uh, they I recently did a uh, Facebook post, and one thing, I had a guy on this podcast a couple episodes ago that um, he also has a podcast, and I was like, man, I'm struggling with how to end the podcast. And he was telling me, he's like, well, I always ask people like where I, that people can find them, you know, cause that's kind of, you know, if they really think the person's interesting that you talked about, then they, they'll know how to find them through the podcast. I was like, oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. So I was like, I've got to start doing that at the end of podcast. But I went ahead and made a Facebook post about it. I was like, how should I end my podcast? And one guy said, um, you should end it by asking them what kind of animal they would want to be and why. Do you want to answer that? <laughs> well, I uh what kind of animal would I want to be? 
Birds included? Yeah, I guess all animals. I don't know. This is the first time I've asked it, so you can set the premise on how it'll go. I would want to be as strong as the gorilla. Okay. But, but I'd also want to soar with the eagles. <laughs> so I don't know how, how I don't can, know if those two <laughs> interchange or not. A flying gorilla? Possibly. Okay. Yeah. All right. You can, you can, and why? King Kong flew, but it was why when he was falling up. I guess the important question is why. Why? Yeah. Why? What why? would you do with that? With the strength? Yeah. Uh, Tear maybe. down trees or something? Did you have some bales of hay out here that yeah. I saw a while ago? Yeah. I could you probably could haul them a hay for you. <laughs> We'd hire you. <laughs> yeah. <the> old gorilla. <laughs> that's no, that's a, that's a good question. I had never, I've never thought about okay. that. Maybe that'll yeah. be my new question. If you think of a better one, you can text me. Think, tell me a better right. question to ask. Thank you so much for being on. Thank I you really, for I me. really enjoyed the book and really enjoyed talking to you. And it's been fun, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you ever have a flat tire, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> we have to end it on that. Oh, that's so funny. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Chatter with Steve. My name is Steve Cook, the co-owner of Cook Feed and Outdoor in Oklahoma City. If you have any questions or need to get a hold of me or would like to be on the podcast, please send me an email at scooktt at gmail.com. That is S as in Steve Cook, T as in Tom, T as in Tom at gmail.com or reach out to me on social media and I would love to talk to you. Thank you for listening.